tune in on Lady Killer Take Two. <laughs> All right. So welcome to Infinity Content. This is a Comics Place podcast. Back again for another episode. This is where, you know, half the population may not have survived the decimation of Grimace's Golden Glove, but all that sweet, sweet content is still laying around for us to, join, to enjoy and talk about. So I'm joined, as always, by our resident comic historian, Roman. Hello. And for our other guest, we know that each paycheck is his herald for the coming comics that he's going to consume, and that's Galactus. Colton. Hey, how's it going? So this is actually be our second go around at talking about uh, Lady Killer. It was just that good. We had to come back and do it again. I know yeah. we couldn't stop about it. I mean, if we could, if we could have uploaded the audio for the first time we talked about it, then you would understand why it's so good. We have to talk about it again. Uh, but yeah, so Lady Killer. This is the book we're going to be talking about for this episode. This was the one that we put up as one of the vote, uh, one of the ones you could vote for for us to talk about. And this was the one, Colton, you suggested uh, out of the pick. Do you want to kind of tell us what grabbed you for putting this one up as your pick? Uh, 1950s dresses, knives, and stylized violence. Love it. Uh, I mean, that's more detailed than what I picked for mine. I just saw Dupe, and I was like, that's a booger. Let's that's talk about that. It's <laughs> a booger with arms. It's a booger with arms. You judge the book by the cover. And with a big X on it. it. Yeah. I, I looked at it. I laughed. I was like, this is silly. And then I was like, maybe we'll talk about this eventually. It's down the it's a and, down the road and project. You laughed all the way to the uh, register with it. Yeah, I chuckled. I don't ha- I don't have it still. I don't have. It. I got so many. I got so many more to read before I can get to dupe. Dupe's on the back burner, uh, just like he is in regular X Men roster. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Lady Killer. Uh, this is by Joelle Jones and Jamie S. Rich. So uh, you were kind of surprised Jamie S. Rich is a man. Mm-hmm, I did because uh, I read forward on it, and the book just seems so feminist and woke that I read. Jamie as female Jamie. I'm a piece of shit. I have to admit, I said after we talked about this last night when we did the first initial recording, I was like, I'm going to go home and read the forward. Fell asleep eating that disgusting macaroni mess I made. Uh, so I didn't read it. Probably like shutting down to like protect its organs from all yeah. the toxins that were inevitably about to hit it. Uh, so yeah, you both read the forward and you said it was both really good. Uh, you want to summarize like the forward a little bit? Uh, it kind of is just a two-page old summary kind of going over American stereotypes regarding serial killers as being men of a certain age and certain type. And that is kind of a big part of the comic is kind of flipping that trope on its head and showing that women can also be evil, brutal killers just as well. And maybe even better. Even better. Like, And it was Roman, you said yeah. they haven't been caught. So Yeah, that's how the introduction ends with, with you know, consider the fact that the reason we have that stereotype of male serial killers are in middle-aged white dudes is because there's all these women out there that are serial killers and they're so good at it, they don't get caught. I really like that idea. I always keep an eye over my shoulder. Um, yeah, so this was, like I said, by both Joelle Jones and Jamie S. Rich. Uh, something I was kind of doing research before we actually started talking about this was Joelle Jones has done a number of different things. Like She's done freelance work for DC Comics in art and writing. She's currently doing Catwoman, both the art and the writing for that. Um, I read the first issue and I really enjoyed it. I, though, albeit like still on bitter tears of the heartbreak of, you know, the fallout of that the wedding, wedding that was not. the wedding, the wedding that never was. Um, she's also done stuff such as illustrating for Supergirl being super, some of the art for Batman and Catwoman leading up to the wedding, spell checkers, Doctor Horrible, and a couple others. And then she's been author for Lady Killer, Doctor Horrible, Catwoman, and a few others. And then Jamie Rich has done a lot of stuff. He's done Love the Way You Love, Aries and Aphrodite, Cut My Hair, and lots of others. Uh, and this book came out in 2015. And there's only two volumes mm-hmm. out, that, and that was it, right? I think so. Okay. Um, so, yeah, what we'll do is, since this is our second go-around at it, we'll break down each... Uh, issue within the book, kind of summarize it, and then we'll just talk about it from there. Uh, I guess we'll go from there. Like, if you want to summarize the first issue as best as possible, I can do the next one for you, Colton. All right, let's do it. Uh, so we start off with our main character named Josie. She uh, meets with this uh, really rich-looking woman uh, and goes to her house. She's trying to be an Avon salesperson, uh, you know, one of those women in the nice blue outfits that tries to get you to join their merchandise cult and uh, become part of their pyramid. So they go in there. uh, She attempts to kill her with poison, but uh, her plot gets foiled by that darn dog. 
uh, running across the hit's uh, lap, and so she spills it out. So uh, she then decides to go... Um, For the more frontal approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so subtle. Uh, they uh, go into the kitchen, and they have a little tussle, and then Josie uh, inevitably gets a knife, and she stabs her right in the heart with blood gushing everywhere. I gotta say, Joelle Jones draws a very good sinister grin. Like, sinister. And glint in the eye? Yeah, and glint in the eye, especially in this character who we also pretty much believe is an Elseworld Selena Kyle. Um, yeah. the, way she, the way she looks. Um, so, yeah. She. So, and then you said yesterday when we were doing the first recording, that Avon is at, was actually a company. It's still a company. It's still a company? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. A make, uh, it's a makeup? you seen uh, Edward Scissorhands? No, I have not, actually. Okay, well, you really just, like, threw off my role. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what Mary Kay is? Yeah. Okay, it's like that, except for the color's blue instead of pink. Oh. Ah. Yeah, and that's it's... basically it. It's the same sort of model company. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's well, later on she does Tupperware, but Avon, I think, was also plastic wares and makeup and mm-hmm. whatever. My mom, I remember when I was real, real little going around the neighborhood with her. Really? And she would do that. Interesting. Wow. So, uh, post uh, stabbing of the victim, uh, we get to see Josie, a uh, pine good housewife, to her uh, two culturally appropriate children who look like the Shining Twins. Uh, nobody <laughs> else agrees with me, but they're wrong. It, like, I mean, yeah, it, I think it's interesting that they're the only two characters that I've noticed that don't have. Well, I guess in this one, like when you first see the kids uh, on the first page, after the, there's a panel of them with their eyes closed and there's a panel of them looking, they have, like, little the pupils. But then the rest of the rest of the series, I don't see pupils in their eyes ever. So maybe they are demon children. Maybe at some point their souls were lost, but I, I, I never really thought much of it. I, if anything, the like mom the mom's the, the evil one. <laughs> the mom puts all the blame on them. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, so uh, Papa comes home. I, I don't remember his name. You really don't have to. It's Gene. Oh, it's Gene? Gene. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to describe Gene? He's just a 1950s American dude. Yeah. He's just kind of a, like not super macho and very much you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. He's just he just sort of like fills a role in the story mm-hmm. but doesn't really ever Have, change like, yeah. the story or really influence the character. He's the least sexist of the sexist people in this yeah. in this yeah. series. Yeah, and that's quite a stiff competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just a good-natured good-natured sexist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then we also find out that uh, Josie's mother-in-law, uh, Jean's mother, uh, lives with them, and she is a immigrant from um, the fatherland. Is that right? Is German. that German? Yeah. Okay. Deutschland. Wait, uh, German was known as the fatherland. Yeah. Yeah. And Russia is known as the motherland. Uh-huh. Well, this is like also a, like a geographical lesson and a history lesson for me. I've always just known Russia as the motherland. I've never heard fatherland. Yeah. Okay. So well, sweet. now you know. Right. Wow. It's a good and thing we're doing this again. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if they referred to it that way before, like World War One or Two. Interesting. I don't know when they. I always heard it in World War Two story contexts. Uh, so, uh, the mother-in-law is there, and she is not a fan of Josie, and she uh, tells uh, Dad that you know Josie isn't living up to her expectations with everything, and that she's garbage. And then uh, Josie gets a call uh, from her liaison to their supervisor named, or the supervisor is Steppenwolf or something like that. I don't know. Uh, Steinwolf. 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 I like Steppenwolf, though. That, that would be a cool crossover. Wow. It, uh, it's all connected. They're all, like, yeah. if you really pay attention to all these characters, they're actually all just different DC characters yeah. in mundane uh, roles. Uh, this, uh, she is talking to her liaison to her supervisor, and his name's Peck, and he's telling her that she needs to get to work, and she is telling him that she. Uh, is really busy and that she wants to meet later than he wants. So she hangs up the phone, goes back to being the doting housewife, and she's just chilling with her uh, husband who is, you know, in his boxers next to his mother, like you do. I know. Uh, in the living room. They're all just, you know, having post-dinner TV whatever. Time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, Peck shows up in disguise as a plumber. And by disguise, it's a three-piece suit and he's holding a socket <laughs> wrench. I mean, as as all plumbers were want to do back, like, why did they switch to going to this whatever like outfit they're going to now? Why didn't they stick to the three piece suit? Like, uh, I don't know. That means that's trust that I trust that they're a good plumber if they're wearing a three piece suit. I wonder if that's a little a little like on Peck's part, a little sexual commentary too, because 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 actually 
pardon me, but it's not a saga wrench, it's a pipe wrench. Oh, oh we're both bad. <laughs> wow. Terrible. We're a failure. We're, we're like the definition of what's wrong with millennials. I can't identify <laughs> one of the most basic of all tools. <laughs> I can't use a pipe wrench. <laughs> I've used a pipe wrench on the boats a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I might have used one to bludgeon an enemy to death in a video game. So I think the, long, the, best use. Yeah. The, the longest the longest one I had to use was like a four foot and we had to use it to get like the propellers off and stuff, but we needed like additional like pipe to like stick onto it for oh. leverage. Yeah. So like three people to get them off. Oh my god. So satisfying though. And carrying it. I'm just like it's almost as big as me. It's clobbering time. It's clobbering time. It's heavy as shit though uh, alright sorry go ahead uh, so Peck uh, pulls her out and he tells her that she has to do this one job and if she doesn't she's in trouble and that she needs to be a good uh, co-worker you know assistant and do uh, whatever he says meanwhile like also sexually harassing her the whole time oh yeah well sexually harassing you just uh, if we're talking about male character inter- interacting with Josie you can just assume they're sexually harassing her and while she's talking to him outside uh, her mother-in-law sees her with a man and when she went outside, she said that she was meeting with a female neighbor. So the mom, the mom's catching on. The mother-in-law is catching on. That yeah, she's thinking up. that she's getting a, a pipe wrench. A real pipe. <laughs> uh, and she's told she has to go to this one bar, uh, a perv bar, as she calls it, in disguise as a Catwoman, because, you know, she is Catwoman, to go uh, hit a man uh, because no male can get close to him. Mm-hmm. Understandable. So, yeah, we got second. I like, so... We talked about at the end our favorite ones, but it seems every chapter, uh, every issue starts off with a like 1960s, 1950s advertisement for something, for a product, while also incorporating murder into it. So this one's uh, for a car, and it's stylish enough for her and roomy enough for everyone else with a dead body in the back. I love it. It's great. And it also kind of sets up what uh, where this one goes. I'll so Yeah. So this one, you've got Josie at this kitty cat club bar thing at undercover as a waitress and takes the orders of a couple uh, table of gentlemen's uh, for what drinks they want while one of them kind of sexually harasses her and she kind of dismisses him then comes back, serves their drinks but leaves him a note saying to meet her in the back uh, in the is it say cloak room or dark room? Death room. Death room? (laughs) I mean basically death room. Uh, To which... He, oh, yeah, he excuses himself. He's got to see a fellow about a horse, which we all which we all learned last night, which was like an excuse to go get a drink or go take a leak. Um, so as he's going back there, you've got uh, Josie hiding within the shadows of the clothes. I I pointed out in this uh, page where she's about to make a strike at him. You the details of her eyes, all you can see are just the whites of her eyes, and no like pupils or anything which makes her look really like ready to kill and her eyebrows are on point her eyebrows are very on point i i love the joelle jones art for like characters faces they're really really good like like the way she details josie's and peck's like when you get kind of like a conversation with peck like really cool art it's like lots of lines but bold at the same time uh so we've got josie taking down this uh we don't really know what this dude's name is or what his deal is, but just bigger man. She's trying to choke him to death with his own tie, and he gets the upper hand at one point. But she. But does he? But does he? No. He turns. She turns it around on him. Still chokes him to the death with tie. Um, one more tie death in a comic that I read, and I'll probably not wear ties anymore. Um, so as she strangles him to death, we get the arrival of Peck under disguise as a cab driver who is still sexually harassing every female that he comes across the whole way through. Um, and there they sneak this dead body, weakens a Bernie, weaken at Bernie style, out to his cab so they can dispose of him um, right, bef- right before he tells Josie that she needs to meet with the boss of the company, which she's trying to kind of reschedule because she's got her personal life too. So... He, you get like a little flash forward. You get uh, her waiting in the office. So she's supposed to meet at three. I, I was talking about this, like this whole like first two pages of the introduction of her boss Stein Steinholm or Steinwolf or whatever he is as uh, total power play because he's very late from when he said he was supposed to be there to uh, just like half goblin on sandwich. With half goblin like out. says, "You mind if I do this?" Of course you do. Like doesn't doesn't You're give her the time. Woman. Yeah, tells her to take a seat. Doesn't want to look up at her. Uh, Kind of just talks down to her. So 
lot of power plays. A lot of power plays. And then tells her, like, trying to, like, evaluate where she is commitment-wise to the organization and gives her her next target that she has to kill, um, which, you know, she takes it after taking kind of an, a threat from him. She returns home from grocery shopping, talking with her neighbor. Her neighbor and her are giving crap to uh, the mother-in-law, which, this poor mother-in-law. <laughs> um, and then you finally find out as she's bringing in groceries, her kids find the the envelope with the target's name yeah, in it. The blood red mer- yeah, target file. Very freaking bright red, uh, which indicates that it's a child that she has to go kill. Um, and then, yeah. So... We talked about this. We both had like kind of different interpretations of this scene at the end of this chapter, though, of her going to bed and then talking to her husband, Gene. Is Roman, you and I were interpreting it as she was kind of maybe kind of like trying to manipulate her husband into getting him out of the way so that she could go do this. But you were saying it, you were you were saying Colton that she was trying to get permission from her husband to get her out of it, kind of thing, without mm-hmm. saying what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure either way. Yeah, I can, it, see, I can see both of those, and and that's where like I talked about when when we read it, when we talked about it the other day is that I felt that she's very she there's no in between she's very much either in kill mode or family mode, but we don't have what you we talked about last night too is we don't have that internal monologue that a lot of comics that seem yeah. to be happening now. Yeah, there's no to understand thought the thought yeah anywhere. So we don't know what's going on under the surface or where her thoughts lie. I mean, yeah, we do see coming up ahead like her decisions, but we don't know in moments like these at the time kind of thing. We're kind of, we're we're just projecting. another, we're just projecting and we're also just another like bystander just kind of seeing and experiencing kind of thing. Uh, so that's the end of that and it's time to get ready to go kill. So, oh mm-hmm. no, you're wrong. Oh, before we go to kill. You can't kill help. before you party. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to get a few drinks in first. You can't kill before you do another culturally appropriated party. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Americans love to do. Yeah, tiki card is a very white Americans, yeah. <laughs> they were they? It was. Yeah, yeah. there's all those like surf movies and beach movies. I yeah. didn't watch enough '60s movies. '60s, '60s, you know, the '70s. Because I remember one of my, at least one of my parents' friends going to their place, and they had all this tiki crap. They really? these, these cups, these tiki glasses, and everything. I missed out on like pop culture movies for a long time. Most of my movie experience growing up was just romantic comedies until you know Marvel movies yeah. started showing up. That's why we got that tiki bar, Red Rum, over here yeah. now. That it's all coming back. Oh boy, it's a throwback. <laughs> uh, red Rum, Red Rum. <laughs> all right. Uh, so Colton, you want to tell us about the party? Uh, yeah, they're just a bunch of shitty white people who are doing sh- <laughs> what shitty white people do and being bastards. And uh, they're drinking because, you know, that's what everybody likes to do. Drinking uh, and smoking in a basement, which I also learned yesterday was also a popular thing to do mm-hmm. in the 60s. And we talked about not yeah, really... You make like your own club with your friends. Base, social, like, basements aren't really common, or I've never heard of them or seen them common growing up in Washington State. I think you might also not be aware of the alcoholism that people had back in that mm-hmm. time. Like, the, the two-martini lunch uh, was definitely something that was well-practiced in the culture. Mm. Uh, yeah, this good old, uh, you know, the best generation coming back. All that <laughs> untreated PTSD and a vibrant middle-class economy. They're going to drink hard. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the big party's happening. There's just all these, like, little side conversations, little drama going on. Uh, and Josie's goes upstairs uh, to deal with some dishes, and she sees her two uh, young daughters who are, uh, you know, being conditioned to believe that this is how adults should hang out. Uh, and drink and steal people's culture. And she tells him to get out of there and I like go back to her bedroom. I like to see that, well, she says off to bed, but you don't see the room. You just see them walking down the hallway. Like, since you said they're demon children, maybe you'd like to imagine that she's, like, sending them off to the end of the hallway to assemble there and stand in position uh, see, I, and I, I, hold hands. Like, now hold hands and go to bed I thought you were and wait a, for somebody to show up. I, I, I thought you were going to go a different route. Like, they, like, fade into, like, the darkness. And they just become like one with the house. Yeah, they're the the poltergeist twins. All and of a sudden, she tells them to go away because they've been dead this whole time, and <laughs> the humans might see them. Like the the dad never acknowledges the kids either. If you uh, think yeah. about it throughout this book. Yeah, but also that, that was common in the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> damn! All right then. Okay. Especially if female children, if they're you know, if, they, if she had a boy, they'd be throwing football every uh, playing catch. Half hour, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Josie puts the kids to bed. She goes into the kitchen, and she's scared to see her mother-in-law there. 
and her mother-in-law, you know, just continues to tell her she's garbage and that she accuses her of like having an affair without directly saying that she's been seeing what she's been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josie throws over the shade and then goes back down to the party and tells uh, Grandma Ma to go to bed. Like, are those eyes yellow or green? They're green. They're green? Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to double check because I was like, it's a very bold choice to do yellow. But now that I know and I have somebody that can verify. Yeah. Do you think her hair is green on that next page? No. Right there. No, no. okay. I'm That's what I'll make sure. We'll little, little color <laughs> test right in the middle. Put you on the spot. <laughs> uh, so we get back to the office uh, where Peck is fra- harassing a well, flirting. I'll say flirting right now. She seems to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Flirting with a uh, front desk receptionist for... God, was it something wolf? Steinwolf. 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 Steppenwolf is just stuck in my head now. So he goes in, uh, and he and the supervisor are talking about Josie's performance. We get a little Steinholm. 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 Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I but probably Steinwolf fits too. Huh? Steinwolf too. He is a wolf. Yeah. Let's call him Mr. S. Mr. S. Uh, he hands Pack a folder that kind of has a little highlight. Uh, like a bunch of pictures of Josie training, but we don't really get much beyond that. Uh, we just know that she's been in the business for a really long time. But uh, Stein Home. Uh, wow. Stein Home, Stein Home. Yeah, whatever. Mr. S. Mr. Supervisor, S. Uh, Boss man. He says that she's, despite how good she is, she must be eliminated because she is a liability. Because uh, any woman who has the independence to work as an assassin. Uh, we'll also get too comfortable, and then we'll absorb her natural position in the order. And then he tells him that he must kill her. And then Peck leaves the office, flirts again with the secretary on the way out, and then we go back to Josie's perspective. And uh, we see Josie uh, approaching uh, this house, and a little kid opens the door, the same one who is on the picture of the death file she received earlier. Uh, she uses a lie to get in there, but the little boy calls her on it because she tries to do a lie that associates with uh, his mother, but the mother and father have been dead for a really long time. So Josie uh, then chases him up the stairs with a knife in hand. Really good uh, artwork. Probably the best in the comic so far. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I love the action sequence of her chasing him up the stairs. Like, from the moment of him standing there after he calls her out on it, like standing, it's just a small panel of her standing there with the knife, him standing by the staircase next to it, like a little phone stand, to the phone stand getting knocked over her, over the, with her about to come up the stairs, him turning the corner, her right behind. It's just, it's just a really good sequence. You can like almost like hear it. Yeah. And like see it happening. Yeah. Like I just imagine like just no like uh, score or anything going on. It's just straight sound effects of like something getting knocked over and then running up the stairs after someone. So uh, he goes and hides under a bed in his room. She knows totally where he is. She can see his feet hanging out underneath. And then she turns on the lights, and she looks at a picture of his parents and kind of has a moment of reflection. We don't get actually hear what's going on inside of her head, but we can assume that she's probably tying it to her own family. Uh, So she lets him go, and she tells him, hey, this is what you need to do essentially to like remain safe without also directly saying it. So then she goes outside, does a little bit of adjustment, and she gets in her car, and she has a little minor freak-out moment because she knows how badly she fucked up. And all of a sudden, she sees Peck show up in a uh, red uh, sports car because, you know, overcompensating. Real fast, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he know he also knows that she fucked up because he screeches in, gets out, and then she screeches out, and he gets in. Yeah, I'm like a red sports car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they make chase... Uh, on the highway, and he eventually uh, hits her into a guardrail, and she hits her head, and uh, he approaches her while she's kind of recovering from that daze, and then he says, going, in, going somewhere? Uh, I messed up a line that literally had two words or less than two syllables each. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Roman, do you want to do one? Chapter four, and that's, it's, I think it's five issues all together. Yeah, five issues all together. Uh, so this one opens up, Peck's got the gun on her. Um, she knows she knows he's gonna have to whack her, um, but he almost gives her an opportunity to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And as they're talking about that, kind of, she takes him by surprise, cold cocks him, kicks him. She's going for a glove box, and he shoots at her. Shoots the heel and, off her shoe, yeah, which I would love somehow, to see Mythbusters prove. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had at the right angle, I'm sure. Yeah, that was yeah. kind of a odd one. Of course, he was getting up off the ground, and so he misses her and blows her heel off of her shoe. Um, which it is a great panel when she looks back at that, the look on her face at her smoking heel. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's like, oh, damn. I Like, I imagine Peck's voice is, like, Archer from that from the show, but, <laughs> yeah, like, a little exactly. bit a little more douchier, though. Yeah. I don't know. That voice is pretty douchey. Yeah, it it, but it's so good. <laughs> I like the part of Archer voice so much. <laughs> so um, you also think of him from Bob. Yeah. Bob's Burgers. She gets, she gets a knife out of the glove box, but he's... Her preferred weapon. He's got the drop on her. Um, she's got the gun... I like the way they do that, too, where it's just the big ruffles from her dress that he's, like, you can't even see her. It's just the ruffles of her dress he's hovering over. And then a dude shows up with a shotgun to Peck's head. And don't know where this guy came from, but she gets the gun from Peck. The guy's asking if she's okay, and she gets in Peck's, Peck's Faust mobile and takes off <laughs> while, the, while the old guy's got the shotgun on him. Um... And then, but while the old guy's watching her take off, Peck grabs the gun, gets the gun away from the dude, and kills the poor dude. And that's when you learn, don't help anybody ever. If it looks like <laughs> somebody needs help, turn turn away. Yeah, yeah just keep you know, going. You know, you know, shoot a text maybe to somebody somewhere. <laughs> but don't directly get involved. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and since it's Peck's car, of course, she's now got um, Peck's kill file on her. Um, and she goes to a local school and calls a nosy neighbor to set up an alibi for herself by uh, kind of telling the neighbor to keep a lookout for this for this car. And this yeah, dude. and it it puts also too like it, it's putting a pair of eyes on it because as we yeah. see in this like they it's like oh someone got in that red car so it's giving her an opportunity to keep an eye on what's gonna happen because she knows Peck's gonna come back for that car. Yeah, and you know I. Wow, I think I didn't even notice this when I was reading this. There's like, is this a mistake? Because she pulls up outside what looks like a school or something. Yeah. And then she's talking to the phone on this woman, and the last panel of their conversation, her husband and the dog walk in, and they're, th they're in their house. I took it as, because it's a neighbor, so I took it that she is uh, she lives near a school. Oh, okay. And that she was able to walk to her house real fast. Oh, that makes sense, because, yeah, she left the Peck's car somewhere mm -hmm. not in front of her place. Okay. Oh, right. She says that at the school playground. Um, cool. Not a mistake. I just I just forgot the dialogue. So she gets home, greets her husband, um, asks to borrow his truck, says her car's in the shop, and she needs to borrow his truck to take the girls to ballet, I think it is. Yeah, really good. At, she's really good at lying. Yeah, yeah. And, and on the spot, I mean, she just comes up with all this stuff to try and deal with the situation. Takes the girls off, and she's driving kind of like fast and like a maniac, and the kids love it, and they're not going to ballet. <laughs> they have that killer gene yeah, since Yeah, because like they said, like he, uh, Gene lets her know that that lady that she had keeping on the red car says it took off, so she's off chasing down Peck to see where he's going kind of thing. Yeah, she follows him to a, to a Chinese restaurant, um, and I don't know how her and the kids... They get in without Peck. Well, he's busy hitting on the Flirt. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't notice them while he was driving there, though. Like, does nobody know how the rearview mirror works? Yeah, I mean, if you don't know the truck, you would have noticed, oh, hey, I know the driver there. And yeah, kids. especially when she's driving super fast, too. It's, okay, someone else is driving real fast behind me. Yeah. Yeah, that's really confident. Yeah, yeah, and then they are able to enter the restaurant and sneak in and get seated without Peck noticing because he's busy hitting on this woman. Um, so they hide behind their menus. Uh, and I hear Peck. Does he threaten the woman? Threaten Ruby? And he kind of yeah. veiled threats, yeah. Um, and another one comes over and takes their order, and they order ice cream, which they don't have there. And while they're doing that, then Peck walks off. Ruby, the woman he threatened, comes over near them, and Mom, Lady Killer Mom, reaches over and knocks over one of the cups and blames Lady her daughter Spiller, for doing Mom. it. Lady mm. Spiller, yes. And blames her poor daughter for being a klutzy kid. <laughs> the poor, poor child. It's like, I didn't do it. Notes for the future. Yep, yeah. yep. Trauma starts. Can you say that having, like, now kids are the ultimate get out of, like, get out of anything card? Like, oh, sorry, my kid just made a huge mess. We gotta leave. <laughs> you know, that's a great excuse. I hate going out and doing anything. 
at all times. So I think having a kid could be the perfect solution. <laughs> it would, it would. And she does all this to, to get Ruby in close to her so... She can threaten her with chopsticks. Yeah, so she can shove, shove some stop, chopsticks in her ribs and, and tell her very close, just the two of them here, I know who you are, you know, you have to talk. Down to, oh, yeah, midnight down on the Coleman Dock, which, yeah, that's uh, the Seattle Ferry Terminal. And a sweet speed <laughs> racer <laughs> outfit. Um, oh, yeah, and they meet at 11. Uh, Josie is dressed, yeah, in that great blue uh, pants, suit, casual pants suit ensemble. With some white gloves. <laughs> With white gloves, yeah, yeah. So they meet uh, Ruby from the restaurant, attacks her. They start to fight. Um until Josie's able to admit that, to get it out, that she works for Stenholm, and he's put a hit out on her, and 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 she's going to be pecked to come after her, um, and she wants Ruby's help to take care of her, and, and she does some great... She takes out Ruby very quickly and effectively, and it's very impressive. Shinopo's um, cat woman moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So they make a plan, and they get... Help, which next we go to this whole this build this old building somewhere, this kind of beat up old building somewhere. There's a couple and they're following this old dude with a cane up the stairs, apparently to go to his apartment. Um, the old guy's playing it up, he drops his mail and stuff to make it seem like he's all helpless and kind of infirm. They go up three flights. This guy, this couple, the woman's married, she's cheating with this guy. Um, and there's it's an interesting page cutaway view of this building and the top apartment is the old man's apparently the middle apartment there's a dominatrix in there a dude naked and on on all fours and the bottom floor is a guy practicing his dance moves so it's a happening building i like it it reminds me of a uh, sandman the uh there's a big storyline about whole apartment complex with all these just like wacky characters in it and it just makes me think of that it's just like cross section yeah. of an apartment I love the uh, the reveal here at the end of this with uh, this old man because you see that Ruby and Josie are hiding in the bathroom for him to show up. Um, well, they go in and the old man, and it's obviously not his apartment. And there's pictures of Elvis everywhere and there's you know women's undergarments and jewelry. And he just picked somebody's apartment, I think. Yeah. But yeah, they get in there and and the old man gets a gun out and shoots the both two of them. Uh, and then Josie, oh yeah, and then Josie and Ruby come walking out of the bathroom. Yeah. Just waiting in there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they want Irving's help. Which is a character like, yeah, we know little about, yeah, know nothing. Yeah, the first appearance Just of Irving. A very capable senior citizen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, you, yeah, you've got chapter five here, uh, which starts out with a training video uh, for workers, what'd you call ambassadors for yeah. the Seattle World Fair, with cute little cartoon drawings of the 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 world the world of tomorrow kind of thing. Um, so you've got Josie and Ruby, both part of this, who have a plan set up to where they're trying to lure out Steinholm and Peck so they can take them out. Josie walks into the crowd and gets them to spot her, to which immediately uh, turns into a pursuit. You've got a bunch of guys chasing her. She ends up running into her husband, who is there to surprise her with the family and support her doing a job. Uh, as she leaves, you got the mother-in-law notices Irving. So she, the mother-in-law knows this old man that we know a little about. Yeah, yeah she recognizes him. Big cliffhanger. Um, I guess to jump real quick, though, you've, you're reading volume two, so you know who he is, though, now, right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, how how everything plays together? The, the mother-in-law knows who he is. Okay. So you've got Josie makes it into a building where it's not very occupied, pulls out some knives, to which Peck responds with, you know, that's a great idea. We don't want guns drawing a crowd. And immediately sends three of his dudes to just get murdered yeah, with some sweet action. Yeah, hack and slash, sweet actual action sequences with Josie tearing him up with their knives. Followed by my favorite line that Peck delivers in this whole book, the only line that matters for him, is I bring the boys home from work and then you go and embarrass me like this. <laughs> uh, so I like that he's got kind of like that sense of humor even when his own people are dying. Like, Shit. Yeah. So Josie shows Josie shows up to kill him. 
Ruby shows up to back her up and tells her to go take care of Steinholm, to which she leaves Ruby in Peck's care. Steinholm and her have a little conversation before Ruby thinks she's about to kill him, but then Steinholm gets the upper hand for a second by grabbing her, and then she cigars him in the eye, which just does not look entertaining. Also, a lesson about smoking. You shouldn't be smoking everywhere, because you're just leaving an extra weapon laying around. That's very true. She gets the upper hand on him, and Irving shows up looking like a weak old man, tells her to go help Ruby, who's getting her ass kicked. She leaves Irving in charge of Steinholm, who begins to recognize Irving. And we kind of get left in the dark there when Irving kind of gets a little sinister, and you see him kind of menacingly walk towards Steinholm. Yeah. Um, I just like how, as uh, before Josie leaves, she takes the butcher knife and just... Right in the hand. Shunks it yeah. right through Steinholm's hand so he's pinned to the glass there so um, Irving can take care of him. It's yeah. Just... Oh, man. If only that knife will hold him. Yeah. Uh, just desserts. We've got... So then we go back to Josie running in, seeing Ruby getting kicked through a door. She goes to help fight Peck, so it's two versus one. They should have the upper hand, but unfortunately Peck, in the middle of having, you know, witty dialogue, ends up knocking them both away and gallagering Ruby's head with a big DNA statue ornament thing. Isn't that a watermelon? Yeah. Okay. Good reference. Good reference? Yeah. I thought it would be the first time. So he kills Josie. He kills Ruby. Or sorry, kills Ruby. He offers to call it call it a draw yeah. with Josie, but then she pulls a gun. You get the whole comedy makes about, so she has apparently something wrong with guns. She doesn't choose to use guns. She doesn't want to use guns. Then he makes another mistake by threatening her family, mm. which she proceeds to shoot him. So that's the end of Peck, which I, when I was reading this, I was assuming he would somehow take the role of being the main antagonist in the next volume or something. Mm-hmm. So she kills him as the mother-in-law shows up and witnesses this and is in shock and starts questioning her about her relation to the Irving, what's going on, what she does. You get a quick cut of Irving walking away to a man just impaled in knives now. Yeah, he's, uh, he's eviscerated. Yeah, Steinholm is walking away. Where was he holding all those knives? That's <laughs> true. Maybe that's well, why he's walking with a limp. Mm-hmm. Every single step was a little poke. And you get kind of a flash forward to Josie answering the door to an Avon saleswoman trying to sell to her, which she proceeds by slamming the door in her face, talking to her husband about it. And he kind of says, you know, he's offering his, you know, manly advice, man opinion opinion of getting a job and understanding like the or getting getting into a business like that and understanding how business works. And she Walter White's at the end and says, you know, I'll get, get into business myself. And that's how Volume 1 ends. And then, yeah, so that was Volume 1. We've also, things we like talking about was they've got all these sweet little advertisements at the end, like 1960s, 50s advertisements for different killing ones. Rum, what did you say your favorite one was from it? Um, boy, I, I keep going back and forth. I, I really like uh, Give Yourself a Fresh Start, Lake's Cold Cream, and, and the picture is Josie at her vanity just wearing her underwear, but she's got some blood on her. She's wiping some blood off. Her hand is really bloody. Wiping some blood off her cheek, and there's this big, bloody, gross axe Damn. leaning on the vanity. But I also like the one that's Bolt, too. Get one of what she really wants this Christmas. Bolt. And it's her. It's Josie in front of a Christmas tree. And so she's got a very large gun. Is that like a silencer a, on it? Maybe. And it's got a little tag on it with a, a heart. With a heart. My, my favorite is the the arsenic one. The, po- the poison. He will never complain about his dinner again. That's not even like that's not even a spoof. That's just like good advice. That's good. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if anybody complains about your meal, they're gone. Okay, yeah. Dunzo. Yeah. What, what would you say your favorite one was? This. I, I love the smoking one. The smoking I one. Like, I get. I love a good smoke skull. <laughs> Death. That is nice. There was a. There was one of those. Well, a poison. Steam skull. There was a steam skull yeah. rising out of that poison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the first chapter. Yeah, Something. Nice. So I talked about this last night, but I noticed it again too that. Like we said, Josie, you only get to see two sides of Josie. It's her family and then her business side. We don't get to see any in between, uh, like an emotional state or anything. But when she's in her family side, she's so good at playing it off as just a stereotypical, like, housewife. 
unassuming everything to everything that she does. Like just looking at the last page where this Avon salesperson comes, they're knocking on the door like a little bit more aggressively. At the beginning of this book, she like is tapping on the door knocking thing. Like she's she's goes across very delicate about everything. Yeah. To come across unassuming. Yeah, very mannered. Yeah, super, super well at hiding who she really is kind of thing, which yeah. is very interesting. She plays the, plays the part of everything a, a lady should be Yeah. at this time period. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, I I appreciate that it's supposed to be, you know, like pro-feminist and stuff, but that's, like, the, the problem without the monologue and stuff is we don't really get to see her thoughts on that. Like, she has a couple mm-hmm. comments to peck when he makes sexual, like, right. sexual harassment comments, but we don't really get to hear her thought process to any of it. Yeah. It's, she just does things. She's apparently getting into business, but we don't know how she feels about any of it or how much she really cares about any of it, which yeah. I'm hoping that they talk about maybe in Volume 2. They do, because definitely, like, in the first issue in the Volume 2 cra- trade, um, no spoilers for, mm-hmm. this part for the Volume 2, but uh, there's definitely some facial expressions... And oh, and there is, in that one, there is uh, not thought balloons, but uh, thought captions. Thought captions? Oh, interesting. In her monologue. Interesting. And, I like that. And yeah, she talks about her feelings and that, and some of her facial expressions, I realize, like, wow, I didn't feel like this way in the first volume, but in the second volume, she's a bit of a psychopath, I think. Yeah? But I like her. <laughs> I really like her. She's a lovable psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. That's I quite feel that That's way kind. in the first one. I mean, compared to everybody else, do you want to be more related to the psychopath or do you want to be more relatable to, you know, 1960s sexism? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, your sympathies lie with Kill her. Kill man. Yeah, put me with, put me with that killer yeah. lady. Yeah. I'm about it. Uh, yeah, so, you know, fun, fun read. It definitely, the thing that I keep saying is this volume feels like its own, it, it feels like a large single issue. Like a giant size issue, it doesn't feel like five issues in it. So it's because it, we don't really get much explanation of who these characters are, background or anything. It's you just kind of jump in. It's a fast paced action th- thriller, murder kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, Jason Bourne style. We don't know what's going on. It's just happening, and you're along for the ride to enjoy it. Which was it was good. It's just a little different without having any of that background knowledge mm-hmm. to, you know, capes and tights and stuff to know what to build off of or what this character's motivation are is where their compass lies kind of thing. But it was it was entertaining. Yeah, I think that was a very, very strong, bold choice for the, the first volume, the mm-hmm. first series. Yeah. Not doing all that inner, di- inner monologue stuff, just kind inner of monologue in building, just with yeah. actions. To get you invested in the character. You, more or less, yeah. you have to be invested in the character that she's a badass killer lady and if you're not, you can ask in the outfits. Yeah. I mean, I love yeah. the bright the, pinks and blues in this. Yeah, the art and the, the people's body language. Like, it always cracks me up. There's a scene when they're down in the um, boss's basement rec room, mm-hmm. Tiki Bar. And one of the women, I forget who she is, um, but this woman in a, in a red dress. And just the, her body language, because she leans forward and she's not wearing a bra. And... Obviously, she's trying to trying to show off, mm-hmm. and it's just. I mean, she's not a bad looking woman or anything. It's just. It's just. It's not played for laughs that way. It's just that attitude, like like, fifties party, and this is your. I mean, she's in pearls and everything. Yeah, I think. I think both these authors real authors did a good job. You know, making it feel like that. I mean, I don't obviously compared to both of you. I, apparently, I don't have much experience of what the 1950s and 60s looked like. And, I've you seen know, every episode of Leave it to Beaver. Yeah, so, but it sounds like they've, you know, captured that that style very, very well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah they really have. I watched It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. I watched that's, Life that's in Color. Really, that's, that was early 40s, wasn't it? I really? Think. Man, I just can't hit the mark. Oh. <laughs> I'm either overshooting or undershooting. I'm yeah. trying. But yeah, Josie always looks, I mean, she's dressed in the pearls, the high heels, that scene where they're in the living room after dinner and mother-in-law's just dressed in a, you know, casual. Yeah, she's always wearing seat. the best outfits, which yeah, I respect Josie. and strive for. Yeah, she's got her always wearing my after-dinner outfit after dinner. Yeah. Could feel good. Heels yeah. and her husband's next door, you know, with the in his shirt and his his boxer shorts and his socks with Not the, me. With the 
I go through four outfits a day, Roman. You know, walk the dogs, dog walking outfit. Go oh, for yeah, a jog, jogging outfit. You know, like go it. out, go out, go out outfit. You know, go inside, inside outfit. Got to change, change it up every time. I like that scene. He's even got the pipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pipe Just and the, sock, out the sock garters. The sock garters was a new thing I never. I I've I've seen and heard about men garters, but I didn't know for socks. You, you can get them for you can socks. Garter anything. Yeah. You can garter anything <laughs> if, if you really mil- want. In the military, you can get they use shirt garters to keep your you know, the long, the button up mm-hmm. shirt pulled down tight. So, actually, level up. I, which, which I, I like kind of thought about actually. that too. Yeah. <laughs> I went That'd from having handy. my, I went from having all my shirts like to tucked to now that they're like this weird in between where they do the French tuck. The French tuck? Yeah. Where you have like one kind of like half hanging out while the other one's tucked in. No, that was my rebellious high school and junior high when I said I would never wear button up shirts or like dress shirts and stuff. And I'd always, and they're like, tuck it in, but I always be like one tuck out. Wow, such a badass. But now it's like my shirts are too long, or they're too long to be untucked, but too short to stay tucked, so they always come untucked. So I'm like, now that I know, maybe I need to invest some of those too. And you could do like a really cool thing where you like staple them to the pants. It could be like a jumpsuit that you get into. (laughs) Like get into the back? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what would you all say you would rate for this? I'll jump in and say right now, I know... I'm going to still stick by what I gave for a rating last night when we did the first recording. Is I would say 7.5. I I really love Joel Jones' art. It was fast-paced and fun. For me, though, I I wanted more, like, um, I wanted more, what would you call it? Viscera. Not viscera. I wanted to be more invested into the character and know <laughs> more about the character. Inviscerated. <laughs> I want more people Investorated. Uh, with no guts. With no guts. Yeah. You wanted more of a glimpse of the... In, Into the, the yeah. yeah. To understand, like, because, yeah, I think it's really cool that they're doing the time period, and I would have really loved to have known in more. In Seattle, too. I really wanted to hear this character that's so strong and capable, knowing what their thought process is during this time period, while also being in this profession. It's probably just like, man, I have the best life. <laughs> and so, it's I like mean, like a really and, also, and I also really want to know, like, what was... Because part of me feels like she's just, a, like, years ahead of this, you know, this time period in thinking. But at the same time, too, I also want to know, what was her, what, like, what drew her to become married and have kids? So what, what is so great about this Gene guy who's just hanging out in his boxers watching yeah, TV? Yeah, I kind of that, His too. socks never fall down. His socks yeah. never fall down. I love a man whose socks never fall down. That's yeah. what she's thinking. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that'll be revealed. Because I think when she goes in for that interview with, the head, the head office. Yeah. Um, she says she's been doing this for like thirteen years. Fifteen years. Or fifteen. Since years. she was a kid. Yeah, and her. Oh, that's right, because they show a picture yeah, of her as a kid yeah. with a bunch of knives and a dude. So how all that happened, and yeah, I, I, her kids aren't very old. No. They're like five, seven, maybe. Mm-hmm. I was thinking they're probably five. Yeah. Like not yeah. that old. So how long has her and Jean been together? How they meet? All this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of fodder for future volumes. Yeah. So what would you say, Roman? What would you give it? Um, I'd give it, boy, eight and a half. I'll eight go with nine, actually. Nine? A nine. Because oh, nine. Oh. now that I've started volume two, I'm seeing the way it's all come together. I'm like, wow, they really set things up well in this volume. Yeah. Do it. Super. Rate it higher. Make me feel like a piece of shit. <laughs> that, does not, that doesn't understand good, good Don't content. Worry. I'll, I'll, I'll split it down the middle. Uh, I'll give it an 8.25. 8.2? Yeah. I mean, it was really good. I am going to read volume two. I am also going to read the forward and not say I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the forward this time. Uh, your uh, girlfriend Kylie read it, right? She did. She really liked it. She She's excited to listen to this one after. Were, were you able to like pull a numerical score out of her? I, I never did, but she said that it, she liked it more for the fact that she wished more women were killers and more capable. That, that's when we know, like, you know, we've really... Uh, you know, met gender equality when we have an equal number of female serial killers as mm-hmm. are to male. And we, we, I mean, Which we may. We may. We may even have more. Right. Maybe the equality that, is just way over, way over the board. It's uh, the whole, like, Schrodinger's cat. Like, we don't yeah. know how many female serial killers yeah. there are because we can't actually crack open that box to find out. I would like to stay away from that box. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get too close. I might get stabbed or poisoned. So, awesome. I'm glad that we could talk about it again. I appreciate everybody coming out to talk and this bunker, I know we all have better things to do, you know, with just half the people hanging around. Uh, so, yeah, this will be our episode. And then what we'll do is we'll go back to another rotation. We'll all pick a book and then we'll have 
our after we've all done another one, we'll do another kind of wild card book choosing from outside sources to talk about. So it'll go. I'll pick the next one, and then Roman, and then Colton. You'll finish it off. Finish this off. I'm gonna say Throne of Atlantis is gonna be the one we're talking about. All right, let's do it. It's timely with the fact that Aquaman just came out, and it's breaking records. It's the most. It's the highest earning DC movie right now. Oh, it wow. beat Wonder Woman. Have you guys seen it? Did yeah. I oh yeah. Seen it yet. I saw it two times. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. See, yeah. I thought you were gonna say the reason why it's so timely is uh, because the UN Climate Report says that. We're going to have a great amount of flooding. I mean, there's so many, it hits so many marks. We can talk about climate change. We can talk about the movie. We can talk about, you know, general perceptions of Aquaman. We can talk about the DC, the no longer DC cinematic universe. There's there's a lot of different things going on, so it felt like we have an makes ocean sense. of possibility. I and you know he is m- one of my favorite DC superheroes. Yeah. We don't I, have to go fishing for subject matter. We, <laughs> there's gonna there's the opportunity for lots of aquatic puns in this, uh, and I just got my Aquaman wall expanded, so it just seems like the best time to do it. Yeah, all stars line. So yeah, we'll talk about that one next. And for listeners that are listening to this, if you're out there, um, you know you didn't get if you didn't get dusted. There is an email address you can reach us at if you have any thoughts about Throne of Atlantis, uh, any questions. We can we can answer them to the best of our knowledge, or we can dodge the question with another question. Uh, or with, you know, just going on a whole non sequitur that you didn't even want to listen to. Exactly. So if you want to get in touch with us for the next episode, we'll read some of those emails. You can reach us at infinitycontentcomics at gmail.com. So look forward to maybe reading a couple of those next next time we do recording. And I'm looking forward to, you know, getting wet and wild with, you know, my boys talking about Aquaman. <laughs> so until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. So long.